Welcome to Homeschool Mama Self-Care. I'm Teresa Wiedrich from Capturing the Charmed Life. I'm here to help you turn your homeschool challenges into your homeschool charms. If you're a homeschool mama challenged by doubt, not sure that you can do this homeschool thing, if you are challenged by overwhelm, feeling like you've got too many kids, too many activities, and not enough time or mental space, or if you feel like you just can't do this thing anymore, then this is the podcast for you. Today, I get to introduce you to Tamara Stryjak. Tamara is the co-author of Reclaiming Our Students, Why Children Are More Anxious, Aggressive, and Shut Down Than Ever, and What We Can Do About It. She is the academic dean of the Newfelt Institute, where she develops and delivers courses and workshops to help parents, teachers, and helping professionals around the world make sense of children through developmental science. Tamara works as a registered clinical counselor, parent consultant, and educational consultant for both school-based and home-based learning. She is also a sessional instructor for several universities, where she lectures for both the faculties of learning and counseling. Connection, relationship, nature, and play are all central themes in her life, both personally and professionally. Tamara's educated her two daughters at home for the majority of their schooling years. Welcome, Tamara. It's a real pleasure to have you here today and to meet you. I know you have a lot to offer, and I'm super excited to hear how Newfelt Institute and everyone involved is getting on the bandwagon of really encouraging homeschoolers at home. For those that aren't familiar with you, can you share a little bit about yourself and your homeschool story and what you're doing at this point in life? Sure. Oh, those are some big questions. All right. <laughs> um, well, a little bit about myself. I'll just maybe give my more, uh, what are the roles I play? I'll start there. Uh, I'm the, uh, the academic dean at the Newfeld Institute, uh, which um, I, I've been involved there de- developing courses and delivering courses and workshops in the area of child development and emotional health. And I've been doing that for, uh, for many years, goodness, I think about 14, 15 years. And I'm also a counselor. So I'm a, a clinical counselor in British Columbia and have worked with children, adolescents, and adults. And I also work a lot now with parents, doing parent consulting and, and helping um, make sense of some of the behaviors that they're seeing, a lot of anxiety that we're seeing in our children. I also work uh, a lot with, um, with families who are educating at home, homeschooling, and uh, really enjoy that work as well. And just kind of coming alongside and helping to see what kind of obstacles there might be in the way and, and how can we get things moving. And so that is my role as a counselor. I'm also, um, I'm also an educator. I teach child development and adolescent development classes for teachers in training and for counselors, as well as do professional development for teachers. Um, and uh, let's see uh, what else I feel. Like. Oh, yes. I also just wrote uh, a book with a colleague of mine called Reclaiming Our Students, Why Our Children Are More Anxious, Aggressive, and Shut Down Than Ever, and What We Can Do About It. And now I'm really regretting that long title because I have to remember it each time. Um, but it was our, our attempt. This was before COVID, but our attempt to uh, speak to some of those areas where we find um, a lot of uh, children are struggling in school and uh, figuring out how we can understand what's going on and, and help in that situ- in those situations, which is also very applicable to home education. And I wrote a little piece at the end too, um, just in terms of home education in particular, um, but have so much to say on that topic because I myself uh, educated both of my girls at home for the majority of their schooling years. So I, um, yeah, and I guess that would dive in nicely to that piece um, of of my journey with them, and and just give you a little bit little bit of context. So my my oldest daughter, we actually had never thought about homeschooling. Um, it was I wasn't. Uh, it was not. It, it wasn't really something that was commonplace at that time. However, I think I would have really thrived in that environment. Looking back now. Um, because I was too caught up in doing everything right. And I'll get to that piece 
piece probably a little bit later. But uh, so with my oldest daughter, uh, she was in school um, for kindergarten and she had a wonderful teacher. It was a good country school. Uh, but something was happening to her and she was at the young end of the spectrum. She was, um, I mean, in terms of going to kindergarten, she was not quite five yet. And so December baby. Um, and, and just that transition was really hard for her to be away from home for that long. And this was back when it was half day kindergarten and, and that was still too much for her. And I just saw her kind of withdrawing into herself and losing all of her, her enthusiasm and her, um, I just, I just could see everything kind of shut down and uh, kind of try something different. This isn't working. And I was thinking about her being gone a whole day and it was just too much. And so I, um, it's actually kind of a funny thing. I remember uh, listening to a, um, they didn't really podcast them, but it was an interview on, uh, on CBC and it was my father. Uh, talking about homeschooling <laughs> and I wasn't working with him yet at this point. And so I thought, Oh, well, that's a really interesting idea. I never thought about that. And I thought, I'm going to give this a try. I'm just going to try this out and see uh, if it works for her. And so we, we did. And, and we uh, went to the conference where he was speaking and kind of tried to get in as much as I could. And I, I had no idea what to expect or what it would be like. I had this sort of image that I had to teach her and I had to, you know, figure out how I was going to teach her how to read and all of these things. Well, it was just amazing, the transformation in her. When she was brought to a place of rest, when she was brought to this place of being at home where she could feel comfortable, um, she just flourished. And so we just kept going because every year we checked, is this working? That's working. All right. We're going to keep going. And basically all the way up to uh, she started wanting to take some science courses in at the local high school and started in with a couple of science, some choir and um, and eased in and then finished off her last few years at high school. That's amazing that your dad was the one that influenced you to homeschool. I think that is super cool. What a great support. I remember reading his book, Hold On To Your Kids, and I'm like, so where in here is he saying we should homeschool? Because he must be saying that. <laughs> I had already been homeschooling at that point, but it definitely yeah. was very supportive of the social environment of home yeah. as the mm-hmm. main delivery system of learning and, frankly, of just development in general. Well, and that's, and that's a really good point because I think what, what um, he also works in, you know, in the educational field and helping, uh, you know, parents equip, I mean, sorry, equip teachers to be able to uh, be the best support they can be for the students. And when we look at it, it's really about what is best for the child, what is in the best interest of the child and the family circumstances it's looking in the right places to see what kind of conditions are needed for that instead of feeling like it's a one size fits all. And, um, and homeschooling can look so different for different families. And my own two girls are such different stories of this. Me too. Yeah. yeah. Four kids and me. And I'm trying as a British Columbian homeschooler, uh, a registered homeschooler, I'm trying to encourage those that are pursuing registered homeschooling to create their personalized education, but do it entirely based on that child, which partly is like super fun to pursue, but it's also challenging because you don't really know a child as in it's a complete form. That child is revealing him or herself to you as time goes by. And then at that individuating phase begins to assert themselves in different ways and try on different things. And, and they keep moving there. There's no like finished product, I guess. I mean, they're fully person, but they're in this process of learning and growing and developing. So it's not easy to create a personalized education for a non-static you know, person, but it's very fun. And it's a a lot of freedom. And it's very interesting to watch that child develop as you know, as they go. Oh, it's so rewarding. It's so rewarding. And yes, it's not static. (laughs) It's not like you can say, okay, this is the program we're going to use for the next, you know, however many years I was at 12 years, something like that. (laughs) You can't even do it right. Exactly. You have to have some flexibility in yourself. And when I started realizing, oh, okay, the question started becoming, is it working? What is working? What isn't working? And instead of getting stuck in what isn't working and feeling like it has to be that way, 
we can change it. I, I still believe in that 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 uh, um, idea of being able, even now that my daughters are in university, it's always reevaluating: is this working? If it's not working, can we change it? Is there what are the benefits of staying in it? Is there a benefit, or is this just going to get in the way of anything else working? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and it it's it's asking different questions versus oh well, we just got to stick to this and and but is it working? Yeah. And what is an education anyways? What is that for? It should be, I think, for a specific person to, and this is my interpretation, but for them to grow up, to have a strong sense of purpose and place in this world and a place for contribution, and hopefully they can monetize that. And so they can contribute to their community or their family, but they have this internal sense of purpose and fulfillment. And if that's what an education is, of course, that's what I'm suggesting might be the most important thing, then that's about a specific person. That's not about an institution. Yes. Yes. And, and, and it's a whole person. And I love how you described all of that. It's not just the person, but it's all the parts of that person. And how are we, how are we fostering all of that? Not just this academic knowledge. And that's often what we think of with school is this academic. My, I, I feel like my greatest success as a homeschooling mom is to see the fruit of all of the different areas my my daughters are interested in and and healthy in and um you know that doesn't mean i was perfect by any means but but i bumbled along you know and and keeping on trying to see what's needed now and what is it that i can bring out in them what kinds of things will help facilitate that process of bringing out that whole person and and helping them to have something to offer in the world I have so many thoughts with what you just said, because first of all, you're talking about um, a a little while ago, you were talking about doing everything right. And you just finished um, sharing that I didn't always do everything right as a mom, which by the way, is like everybody, which you know, we all know that as moms. Um, And I identify with that because I trend toward the perfectionistic approach too, until I finally realized, yeah, you're really not doing this perfectly. And uh, the biggest lesson for me in homeschooling is nothing about academics, although I've learned a ton. And it is definitely not me worrying about socialization. I'm exactly opposite. I'm not concerned at all about socialization when they're at home uh, or home-based. But I know for myself, uh, my kids are my mirrors into my soul, and they uh, give me an opportunity to deal with all the stuff that's in here. And that has not been pleasant all the time. And yet it is also beautiful because growth is, I think, why we're here. And so we have lots to learn. And we have an opportunity to learn a lot when we're with our kids Mm -hmm. all the time. But I think that experience actually sometimes feels kind of overwhelming. And so I think we always have to find ways to develop strategies, self-care strategies around what do you do with that perfectionism? How do you engage that perfectionism Mm -hmm. for yourself and for your kids? Yeah, my mind now, I now I'm going in different directions. I have have a few different thoughts there. Um, but I, I, before I get to that question, I want to back up to something you said a little bit earlier, um, in, in terms of that coming up against things in yourself. And I remember, um, with my oldest in, in that journey, my youngest has another story, which may come out at some point. Um, but with my oldest, Um, what it did was it showed me her being withdrawn. It made me realize at that point that she actually needed me in a whole way that I was, I was busy out there helping everybody else and, and being a hero Um, in many, I, I did a lot with youth and, and in youth working in the community. And yet she needed me. She needed me not as a teacher, but as a mom. And that was always my challenge was how do I facilitate that connection? How do I keep that connection alive? And I had to be really intentional about it. I had to start that journey. It was hard to see that and hard to see all the places where I had fallen short and, and the guilt and the the remorse and the regret. Can I just back up five years, you know, and start over here? Amen. Yeah. Apparently not. <laughs> Where's the rewind button? Yes. Have another child? <laughs> <laughs> Which I did. <laughs> Keep having children. <laughs> 
So it's, it's, it's that kind of that having a bit of grace at the same time to realizing, okay, I can't go back, but I can go forward. And what I did was I built into our routine, this time together where we would go to the, the local um, coffee shop and I'd have my coffee and she'd have her hot chocolate and we'd sit and read together. And it was the most precious time. And it was, it was just once a week. Sometimes we get there twice, but it was this special time that we had together that built that foundation for the learning to unfold. You know? But that's what she needed most of all. And I was in the best place to provide that for her. And so that's what, where I, I focused a lot of my, my time and energy was on that piece. And, um, yeah, and I had to make room for all of the feelings that were stirred up in me. <laughs> and uh, yeah, a lot which, of them. Um, which is beautiful, um, like a segue to your dad's book, Hold On To Your Kids, uh, because that book really is saying that that relationship is the foundation relationship or foundational relationship for all the learning or for really just for development, for the healthiest development. And I'm with you. I have absolutely not done everything right. And my kids know it and I know it. And I don't think it's a thing. Actually, I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves as parents or as a culture to do everything right. It's not a thing. We can't actually accomplish it. But we do need to always be growing. And we do need to always be watching ourselves and learning from them and from ourselves. And um, But that your, your dad's book speaks so profoundly to the relationship as the base of your or their learning or even our homeschools. Well, and it's the base of development. It's the base of how we develop our sense of self. And it's that understanding that it's in that relationship that becomes the foundation, the safer they can feel in their relationship with us, with their caregivers, whoever us is, it could be grandparents, could be um, um, father, um, foster parent, whoever us is the caretakers who are, who are there in the child's life, that that provides the foundation for that self to grow and develop and, and the learning where that, that naturally happens in that process as well as they start to interact with their world and what are they interested in? What are they connected to? What are their passions? What are their curiosities? That's all part of that emergent process. Mm -hmm. We don't realize we can't push that process. We can't teach that process. It comes from a place of, connection and of feeling safe in our world but Tamara I have tried (laughs) (laughs) yes so many thoughts (laughs) um back to the discussion of perfectionism and self-care strategies or or strategies to address that and then I'm also curious uh, something that you just said but maybe I'll let you chat about that first Okay, so well, it's interesting because it is, uh, and yeah, coming back to that question that you were asking before too, I, I, uh, there's a particular book that that I um, really impacted me uh, when I came across it, and it was the book Ish by Peter Reynolds. I don't know if you're familiar with that. No, one. I'm not. Uh, Peter Reynolds is an amazing um, writer and and illustrator of children's books, and uh, but this book, this book is for us, I think, as those perfectionist parents who want to get it right, who want to do it right. And it really depicted even myself as a child being in the school setting where I felt like I had to get things right. And the story, I'll just give you a little synopsis of it, but the story tracks um, this boy who's who's so full of emergent energy, I want to say, and, and he's drawing the world around him and he loves to draw. And then one day, his brother comes over his shoulder and kind of laughs at him and says, what is that? That's, I don't, that doesn't look like anything. And he just, he starts to become self-conscious. And that self-consciousness turns inward. And then now all of a sudden, he he tries to draw things and he crumples them up and he throws them away because he can't get it to look right. And on one of these times, he kind of, he's had enough and he just throws up the last piece that he's working on and he throws it on the ground. He said, I'm done. And his sister is there, his younger sister. And his younger sister picks up the crumpled sheet of paper and runs away with it. He's like, what are you doing with that? So he follows her up to her room. And she's got this crumpled gallery on her walls of his pictures that she's put up, which is beautiful in its own, it's in its own way. But the, the, there's more to the story than that. This, what happens is 
that he looks at the, at the, the pictures on the wall and he says, well, like that one there, that was supposed to be a vase. And she says, well, it looks vase-ish. And he's like, vase-ish. Oh, I guess it does. And then he starts looking at all these pictures. Well, they, they kind of look, they look afternoon-ish, sun-ish. Like he starts to, like his whole world expands because now there's some permission for it not to be perfect, for it to be what it is. Mm. And this is what I want for my children, for myself, is that permission to just try things, to take risks. Because when we're in that place as a parent, where we feel like we have to get it right, Mm -hmm. it blocks the creative process and we can't open that space for our own children. So I wonder why then our kids do have this perception that they need to, or they need us to be perfect too. Like, what's that about then? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's, that is that piece of, I think there's that expectation and I know, um, I don't know if this speaks to it exactly, but I I think back to those early years of of homeschooling where I felt the pressure that I had to perform and I had to have the learning outcomes checked off. And it was about me more than it was about my own children and getting it. I mean, in terms of getting it right, that the grades were really about me. Um, And, and so that would, that would come across to the, to, to my girls Uh, inadvertently. I didn't want it to, but that pressure would be there because I felt that pressure. Whereas when I could shift that language to saying, we're just going to explore this, we're just going to explore. And if it happens that we, you know, end up with something to show that we've done it great. And if not, that's okay. Because I'm trusting in the process. Do you know, I have that kiddo right now, um, the one that you just described yourself as, the mm-hmm. one that has to do it right. And she is right now uh, get, you're trying to get her drivers, her, um, her N, so that she qualifies as an independent driver in our province. And she has this feeling of, but what if I don't pass? And I said, well, what if you don't pass? Then you can do it again. And of course, that is not her instinct. Her instinct is, but the first time, because that's how I do it. I do things right. And she is that kid that tends to always do everything and do everything well. So it's really her speaking to herself, having to say, it's okay if I didn't pass. But yeah. it's, it's actually hard. It's a hard nut to crack that because oh, uh, they're covered in a coating of I, I'm worthy if I'm perfect. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is. And, and um, yeah, we had a similar situation in our household with that um, as well. So I know that feeling, that feeling of need to get her. And, and mine, one of my daughters, it took, her, it took her over two years to get to that place and um, to be ready. Um, and it is, it's a, it's a lifelong kind of l- learning when you have that tendency to be in that place. It's harder to, it's, it's harder to crack that nut, as you say, it's harder to convince. And, and which is why, you know, it wasn't until adulthood that I was actually able to get to that place where I could actually just open up and color outside the lines, you know, that it didn't matter. um, And that I had some room for myself to not have to get it right all the time. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I tried, I still tried to do this with my children because I knew what needed to happen, but I wasn't necessarily there yet myself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, that sounds familiar. <laughs> um, you know, when we were talking about us developing ourselves, or we're talking about our children emerging, I think we're still in the process of emerging as human beings. We, we are still learning. Yeah. I certainly know that my Base, like my family of origin story is a whole lot more challenging than my family created story. And so then my kids have different experiences, different challenges than I had. Um, but I, part of the reason I wrote the book Homeschool Mama Self Care is because I chose four different paths to write a book. I'm writing my second book right now. Um, but my first book, I just randomly chose the one out of four topics that I wrote the most about on my blog. And it was definitely self-care. I realized that if I'm going to take care of my kids, I have to take care of myself. And I think the biggest thing that I learned in it was 
um, thought self-care strategies, which really uh, sources from something I got from Dr. Daniel Amen is quite uh, challenging our thoughts. And as homeschool parents, we have so many potential thoughts like perfectionism, like doubt, like overwhelm, like anger, like loneliness, like etc. Human feelings that everybody has, but in a homeschooled context. Um, but now I'm realizing that one of the biggest things I've taken away from my own book, which is how things go when one writes, <laughs> one, really is. one learns more from oneself. It comes and, back on you. <laughs> exactly. And then you look back and go, did I write that? I should like do that. Yeah. But um, So then I remember uh, talking about developing myself, the emerging self you refer to it as, but I am just discovering that my own sense of identity, my own sense of self continues to grow. And the more that I become me, the more I let my kids become them and they can develop their own educational path or their own whatever self. Yes. Yes. Well, and, and what you were describing, it made me think about um, making room for all that is in us in a way that it can be um, doesn't get in the way of our children, but actually creates space for our children in a different way. And, and I, you know, I think about that in particular with just, um, finding those little practices for me, it's been about finding the little doable practices that I can inject in my rhythm of my days and my weeks, my months, um, that really help. And, and, and for me, a big piece of that is, is finding some, um, that before I can get to the changing my, my thoughts about it is, is actually acknowledging the feelings are there to begin with because so much of it is just putting a lid on it. Right. And we actually need to make room for those feelings as messy as they might be the frustrations and the alarm and the, the things that we're not getting right. Or we're feeling the pressure and the expectations from others around us and messages from different family members or whatever it is that we're feeling, um, so much stirred up in us. And I found that when I was able to make room for that, whether it was in writing or in some kind of physical activity, um, I also love doing Qigong. Um, and so finding something where I can get things moving then gets me to that place of, oh, I can do this. Okay. It's going to be all right. But if I try to block it, and if I try to cut it off at the pass and I try to shove it under the carpet or in a, you know, in a big pot and put a lid on it, it's going to seep out somewhere. And it's usually going to seep out on my children because they're the ones who were home. Totally. <laughs> yes. Because we, it's instinctive to blame. It's instinctive to feel like this feeling is here because of, and then it's whoever is the closest or literally whoever is the closest intimately because they are most likely to absorb it. Right. And, and yet whatever that challenge is, um, it, it's been a lifelong thing for me. No, it hasn't. Cause I haven't actually known about the sit with it idea or these questions that Dr. Daniel Amen talks about of just what, it, what are you actually feeling? Are you a hundred percent certain that it's really true? And if there is an alternative or a different perspective, then consider all of them and then choose the one that would, you know, enable you to reframe it so that you could actually walk in the path or on the journey the way that you want to instead of re reacting, instead of always just, you know, whatever our first instinct is. But like you said, if you're not actually allowing yourself to identify those feelings, none of this is possible. Well, what you just said, the reaction versus not being reactive. So the reaction versus the response, because when you can acknowledge it, make some room for it, you're putting it out on the table, basically. You're going, yeah, I feel this. This is, again, is this helping? Is this helpful? Is it, do I agree with it? You're, it? You could take up a relationship with it. You can reframe it. You can work with it. And it allows you that choice. It allows you to be in that driver's seat where then when that impulse comes, it's not just you're going on the impulse, you can say, actually, I don't agree with that here. I don't want this frustration to come out in this way. Um, I'm going to find another way to do that. You can get back in the driver's seat of it. Mm -hmm. But that reaction, you're not in the driver's seat. It's just happening to you. 
And you're sometimes making these wildly inappropriate reactions to things that, yes, maybe that is your first thought. But it's, it's interesting for me as a sibling in my family of origin um, to see myself, my, my sister and brother, very different in personality. And so we would engage things in very different ways in, you know, what was going on at home. And still to this day, we engage things in very different ways. And I must say that in some ways, I really wish I was more like my sister in a certain way because things didn't pierce my soul quite as fast and as hard, or at least she made it seem that it wasn't affecting her. And I was always just completely open. And um, at that time, I would have been defined as sensitive. And now I realize it just is what it is. You are who you are. And so you're going to have to accept your reaction as differently than your siblings, or you're going to have to accept that one child is radically different than another. But when we accept that it is what it is, then we can say, okay, the goal is not to react on the is, but then decide what do we want to choose as the best mm. response, which is really hard. Yeah. Oh, I was about to say, that sounds so easy. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> is it not easy? Great to write in a book, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very it's, difficult. Yeah. yeah, that's what I mean. It comes back to you. It comes back on you, right? Where. Yeah, it's, uh, it is, it is challenging. And, and, and I think it's an important thing to, to reiterate that you talked about how each child is different. And I, I mean, I've had two, you've, you said you have four. Yeah. yeah. Um, but my second child, I remember for my first child thinking, you know, she napped for four, not, not, uh, yeah, sometimes four hours a day, she wow. would eat like, uh, you know, just kind of at meal times. she would uh, be engrossed wow. <laughs> in different activities for hours on end and just sit there. Now my second came along and I didn't know what hit me. <laughs> she was this whirlwind of energy and movement. And if she napped five minutes in the afternoon, she was up till midnight. Yeah. So I had to keep her awake so that she would at least go to sleep. But she, and she, she needed to nurse all the time. She was just a constant movement now delightful, <laughs> but it was exhausting because yes. I was expecting something different. And so I, when, when I, when I look at how I went to, uh, you know, my own reactions and what I needed to make room for was even just the, the differences and, and recognizing the differences in them and how they learn differently. And do you have some suggestions about tools on how we learn or observe, uh, like I say, observe your children, but learn about your child's learning styles or learn about your child's personality or whatever you think is important? Well, there's, some, I mean, there are some, some great things out there that just talk about the different, different styles. I think the best thing though, is just to observe, just to observe your child. My, my, um, my oldest, actually, she loved doing workbooks. She loved them. And, and I mean, I liked them too. And I, but I, I think it was a little bit because I could get the answer right and all of that. But what I did notice about it was she always changed the name. She loved names. She lo still loves names. And so she would change everybody's names, you know, if, when they had different problems and she would draw pictures. <laughs> and so <laughs> she just loved to draw. And she had a little bit of that perfectionism as well. And we really had to, it, it showed me, okay, where is she getting stuck? How can I create ways for her to be more creative with some of her assignments? If she could change their name, it made it all work. So why not? Does it really matter what the person's name is? Can she create her own stories? She's a writer. She's in, in her last year of creative writing at university um, and psychology. She loves both, you know, the mind and the, and the, uh, and the writing. And so when she was allowed some space for that creativity to come out and in her writing and the way in her drawing, it, it would flourish. And so I, I would work with that. Whereas my, my youngest daughter, writing was not her thing. In fact, I had a panic at one point thinking, how is she ever going to graduate if she can't write a sentence? And, and it came it came not in the timing that I thought it needed to come or that the curriculum thought it needed to come, but it came and it, she is an excellent writer. Um, she still doesn't love it, but, but she can do it mm -hmm. and she can do it because I gave a lot of space for her. She was very tactile. I mean, I knew this because, well, from the womb for starters, <laughs> you see her crawling around there, but she did everything with her hands and her feet. She explored her world with her hands and her feet. So she did tactile things, you know, um, metalwork, blacksmithing. She did working with beads. She did woodwork. She did um, 
uh, anything that that was fiber, working with fiber, uh, wool and whatnot. We had alpacas on our farm. And if she could do something and she could be moving while she did it, she learned to read on the couch back and forth and up and down. And, and she would have been over on top of the ceiling if she could. She did most of her schooling upside down. <laughs> Literally. Awesome. Any, anything that she had to do or focus on was either moving or upside down. And that would have been really challenging in school. I, didn't know yeah, how, sure. I don't know how that would have worked, <laughs> but I could make the space for it. But I needed to see this is how she learns. So how worksheets? No, no way. No possibility. I had to find other creative ways for her to explore her world. Yeah. But now she's going into engineering. So, you know, it's all right. Problem solving, exploring her world. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? I think just like our kids, you can see it very, very early on. You said in the womb. And I remember that child that you're describing. I had that one too. And I recognize things starting in day two, but they start so early and their interests somewhere around eight or 10, I think, it, whatever they're doing then, whatever we were doing then, we later on, we're still yeah. doing. Yeah, I think that's kind of cool. So us developing us is kind of like still, a, I think, a homeschool mama self-care project. Like we still have to keep um, developing our own identity. Well, and I think the beauty, the beauty of it was for me was my own journey of exploration happened alongside of them. Yep. Because I found my love of my love of reading. I loved reading to them, um, with them. This was my favorite thing to do. And it brought back that love. And, and I would, I would play with the voices. That was just so fun for me. And it was this outlet that I started and I started learning about history in a way that I had never, it had never stuck before, but all of a sudden we're reading historical fiction and the stories are coming alive and I'm discovering things about my world and about myself in some of the things that I'm doing with them and facilitating for them. It was so fulfilling. I mean, it wasn't, that wasn't the reason I was doing it, but it happened alongside of them. And the fruit of that was just so rich when I could let it. It is. That is a, for sure my favorite thing to do academically is reading together. I mean, I, I don't think I read a real book until I was 17, truth. And my English teacher in grade, grade 12 said, really, you need to stop watching TV and start reading books. And I've been making, you know, making up for it ever since, reading and reading and reading. Um, but I, I want to ask you, Newfelt Institute recently had a webinar directed towards home educators and emotional health. Where did that come from? Where did that originate from? Well, that, uh, that's a good question. Um, it was not something we were thinking of doing uh, at all, um, but there had been so much, um, so much interest in that area, particularly with some of the, the kind of... Uh, um, the feel in the air right now with, oh, well, they have to go to school at no, at all costs, even costs of health. And this idea that school was the only place. And so where this came out of and where the editorial that, that my father wrote um, on this could, could homeschooling be more than just a backup plan. It was really challenging those ideas to say, actually the, the learning can unfold where the learning unfolds best is when a child is at rest, when a child is feeling safe, when a child is, um, has that ability to, to, uh, to explore their world. And so it's not, it's not, um, can we provide those conditions at home? Yes. For many children, that is not, not everyone. And not everyone is in that situation where it's possible, but it's looking at, wait a minute, this is actually valid. This why isn't this an option? And why isn't this something that we could consider? Um, and so that panel came out with, with Gordon um, Neufeld, Deborah McNamara, myself, uh, came out because we've been doing these panels back in um, just after COVID uh, called Parenting in a Pandemic, where we were responding just to questions that were coming up week to week. We did it for about six weeks in a row. And just as people were hungry and wanting support, and this panel came out the same way. We decided, you know, we, we have something to share here and uh, the over, overwhelming response. I think we had over 700 people register for that. Yes. And you see fine. the hunger, right? And it is a free resource out there now um, through the Newfeld Institute site. I believe it's on the pandemic resources page because um, it still sort of falls within that. But out of that interest, we decided to do a full day seminar, my father and I. 
on home education. So it's happening next month, October 24th, uh, through the Newfeld Institute. And I'm pretty excited about that. I think it's going to be a, a neat combination I, um, to do with him and looking at kind of the theory behind it, but also just the real practical what what does it look like and um and how do we create those kinds of conditions um for our children and yeah. ultimately then for ourselves right I think this has been a beautiful opportunity for all, um, you know, all families. They get to reimagine what family life looks like, like yeah. and they get to reimagine what an education looks like. But there are a few more um, homeschool families now in the last few months. What kind of uh, uh, strategies would you suggest for them to be able to take care of themselves as they are homeschooling? Well, I think the biggest thing is, is, is letting go of the expectation and the pressure on yourself to do it a certain way. I think it starts with that. I think it's giving yourself some grace and some room to say, you know what? Um, I, I can do this and I have something to offer and to, to back off of the, of the pressures and just to make room for your children to, to feel safe in their environment at home. How can we bring down uh, the alarm as much as possible in this time that we're in? How can we find those, those, those places for exploration and free play that we just don't have anymore? How can we, it's actually through play, those opportunities, whether it's through playing games or it's just exploring you know, the, the back pond, whatever that looks like, being in that exploring mode where it's not about outcome, that I think is great for us as parents as well, because it takes that pressure right off and we can just allow that learning to unfold because that's where the natural learning will happen. That's actually where it's wired up in our brain. That's how our brains process how to problem solve, how to do all this. It's actually in the play process when we're in the play mode of whatever we're doing. So even if we're doing a worksheet, if we're doing it in a play mode, like my, I described my daughter doing where she drew pictures and she drew uh, or change their names. That was in the play mode uh-huh. where it wasn't about getting it right. And, and I, I, at least for, for me, I think it starts with my trusting in the process and mm-hmm. letting go a little bit of, of those pressures, the expectations to say, you know what, your child is going to be okay. Oh and yeah. There, I mean, I could say that cause I have, I'm at 19 and 21 and, and they're in a healthy place. And so I, I'm on the other side of that to, to see and in a healthy place as a whole child. But in the moment, I, I, I think the more you can play with your children, give yourself some space, go for walks, go for um, nature explorers, go for um, read books together, read books it's it's good for them it's good for you it's good for the whole family it's times of connection it's exploring others worlds it's mm-hmm. it's um and read good books yeah good books where you feel good reading them you know there's some great classics out there and um i i just i uh, that would be my my uh my biggest thing is just make some space for this and do it with them yeah, as much as you can. I mean, I worked, I worked full time while I homeschooled. So I know wow. trying to find that balance too. So it is possible, but you have to be very intentional with filling them up first and, and doing those times of connection. And then they get that kind of emergent energy and they go and they want to try things themselves and explore on their own, but then you got to collect them again and, and, yeah. and find those times of connection. And it's finding a rhythm that works for you and your family. And um, that I think is the biggest piece to our own being able to manage is finding what works for your family. Yeah, what works for you. I find it's still challenging after 15 years homeschooling for very different kids to just let them do their thing, just let them pursue their learning opportunities. Although I really do think it's the most useful approach for their personal education, but it's so hard to let go of that schooly mindset. And yet, the more we trust ourselves, the more we're pursuing our own interests, the more we allow ourselves to trust our children and watch them, observe them and see, just like you said, they follow all these little paths and it's not clean and smooth. Like I'm eight and I want to be an engineer. I'm nine and I want to be an engineer. And it it doesn't go like that until now they're 20 or now they want to be an engineer. Um, But there's like a messy path towards their learning. And yet 
it's still all sourced in them. And when we can just facilitate it instead of try to be a teacher to them, then we're actually giving them the most clean or authentic education for them. Yeah. And, and that word that you used, and I use this often, is that facilitating it. It's putting things in place. When I saw that my daughter loved, um, she just loved everything to do with science and how the world worked. You know, she was always asking questions and she loved the stars. Well, I got, you know, we got her an astrology book. Well, and a science encyclopedia, one of those fun ones that has lots of pictures in it. She just loved those and she carried them around. I mean, I would just sort of leave the books out or leave the books from the library sitting around. Um, opportunities that would be there that that weren't necessarily, um, I wasn't saying, oh, you should learn this or you should study this. It was, oh, look, here's an opportunity. Um, you know, and, and I would set things up. I would match make, you know, they had one grandma who they, they learned Irish, um, you know, folktales and, 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 uh, language from uh, not language that's the word poetry that's what I was looking for language and and then another one who who taught them how to do calligraphy and cursive writing before they could get to calligraphy and so I match make with different people in their life who could bring them certain things and certain skills that they were interested in or certain things they were interested in but I was matchmaking them to it I didn't have to do that all myself I had all of these people this village around me and what it did was it actually helped foster that relationship even more too. Mm -hmm. And so it was that kind of intentional putting other um, mentors, people in their path who could do some of that um, sharing of information or sharing of, of, uh, of some passion that they had. A community-based education. Community-based really. education. Yes, exactly. Exactly. It widens it. So, and that's the other pieces. It's not all up to us. And that would be the other one I would add in, you know, it's not all up to us. We, we just have to be creative about it, which like you were talking about at the beginning, when you, you, you individualizing the schooling can be, can be challenging, but yet it's so fulfilling because when you can get something that works, it's so rewarding for on both parts. It's so fulfilling and you just see the growth come, the fruit come, um, and maybe not right away. It, you know, sometimes it takes a little while, but you see it unfold. Well, I've approached it to a very schooly approach and didn't have to. I was not beholden in any way. But then I was also, I'm obviously more on the other end now, but I still tend towards the schooly approach. But I found that there's less work involved when you're trying to not be schooly. And it's not because I get, because I'm not a pro have your screens all day kind of mom. I'm one of those moms that really doesn't think they should have screens all the time. Um, just like candy, just let them have it at different mm -hmm. times. Um, but I, I do say that they, sh you know, if we pursue their thing, we're actually putting less pressure on them. We're putting less pressure on ourselves. Uh, we really have to tune out <laughs> what the school system is doing so that we don't create these unnecessary, oh, you didn't do this yet. Maybe you should do that. Um, when our kid will never want to pursue that, never want to be part of that thing. And then it, it, it's just a nominal activity. It's an interesting one maybe to you, but it's not a necessary one. It's not something that's building necessarily their communication or their numerical skills or things that are basic precursors to living in a culture that uses everything of like communication and numbers. But I just think that there's like so much pressure that we put on ourselves when we're trying to create a conventional education school education at home. It's actually easier to follow them and facilitate their interests. Yeah. And I, I, I think that there is this idea out there somewhere, not sure exactly where it comes from, that it's, that it's actually bad if you're doing something you enjoy doing. <laughs> yeah. You know? And yeah. so it's like, somehow I'm not, you know, I, my daughter, my, my older daughter is actually struggling with, she almost didn't go into creative writing, but she said, but mom, but I like creative writing. Mm -hmm. I should be doing something else. But so somewhere there's this, this, you know, this idea out there that I've been battling all along saying, no, of course, do what you love. And she's good at it. And right. she's got all these pieces that come together. Yeah, that's what we want is, is there can be so much, um, uh, I think of the, there's a, a, a book um, by Thomas More um, called Life, he wrote Care for the Soul, but it's a book called Life at Work as well, where it talks about uh, that idea of, of what 
doing, you know, doing what you love and, and are passionate about and have to bring to others that this is actually when we can find that spot and we can, and we can um, work out of that place. It, it almost looks like it becomes play for us. And yet, but it becomes meaningful. It's that meaning that we, we bring to it. And, and I guess that's what I want for my children. And, and that you mentioned at the beginning, that idea of finding their place in the world and having meaningful contributions and, and um, yeah. So it, it, uh, to me, it's, it makes sense to start that early, to start aligning with, well, where are those interests? And yes, they will shift a little bit and they will emerge, but we, we can be watching and then planting seeds and, and facilitating or watering the seeds once they're planted, you know, and figuring out what this, what this looks like for it to come to uh, some fruition. And maybe some won't, and they'll just be, you know, They'll just be there. I, my youngest had a list of, I think, 21 things that she wanted to be when she grew up, um, that she wrote when she was about 11 years old. And uh, I remember her great realization when she realized, I don't have to wait. I could be some of those now. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. So she may be not just an engineer. She may be a lot more things. Uh, but I um, I've got kids like that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you don't put a ceiling on it. No, or a mold on it and you allow for some of that and you're you're just kind of going with that flow to help it get the things out of the way so that flow can happen you know yeah put a ceiling on it I mean I suppose there are families that definitely do try I definitely was one of them and then but your child gets to a certain age where they're individuating and you don't have a choice but to let them become them or you can choose to be miserable. You decide, or you can, like you said, try to limit them. But when they get to a certain age, then you just have to, you know, can facilitate it in a unique way that really they are beginning to include themselves in the process, I guess. Funny enough, my third daughter this year is going to school for the very first time. This year of all years, she's not even been to kindergarten. This is my second child, though, that went to school. So, um, So that adjustment was a few years ago. My first daughter, as always, introduces you to everything. She's my experimental child. She, she th- was offended by that the first time she heard me say that. But I said, no, 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 you're not a research project. Not like intentionally anyway. You, I wasn't trying to experiment on you. I was trying to do everything right by you and discover that all my rightness was actually not working. Um, right. But anyways, that, that is a discussion for another time. We could talk about teenagers in homeschool for hours, right? Yes. <laughs> you said um, at the beginning in your bio, you said that you are about connection, relationship, nature, and play. And that is what's meaningful to your, um, your professional life and to your home life. How those different aspects, also I identify, by the way, um, those different aspects, how do you include them in your regular day-to-day? Yeah, I am. Um, well, right now I, I am living out country. And so for me, living outdoors has always just really been um, uh, had a lot of meaning to me and, and connection is where I feel most connected to myself and the world around me. And so I, I make it a, a daily practice to be outdoors um, at least once a day. I usually go visit a little lake by my place and sit on my bench and, and greet the frogs or the damselflies, the otter, the beaver, whoever happens to be there at the time and just sit without an agenda you know, it's amazing. I mean, that sounds simple, but I know how hard that is because I worked really hard to carve out space just to make that okay. And so that's one of the things that I I do on a regular basis. Um, And I do with my child as well. She's, she's home with me right now doing her first year university. She's supposed to be away at university, but um, um, she still loves doing those things with me as well. Um, but it's it's bringing elements, bringing elements of play in as well. Um, right now, what that looks like is we play a couple games of boggle after dinner every night. You know, <laughs> word games are are fun. Um, it's just it's it's what for me. This is what works for me. It's finding those areas. I make sure that I walk 
every day. I make sure that I, I, I walk the dog, but he more like meanders, but I also just walk <laughs> myself because I can, you know, I need to like, this is where the things get moving for me. This is where things I, I start to connect with myself and my, how I'm thinking, how I'm feeling when I move. And so whatever makes you move, whether it's physically moving or not, I would encourage, it's just so important to find those little spaces. It can be 10 minutes that I take. And I just, I'm out. Sometimes it's just around the house, um, but just getting things moving. And um, so, yeah, that's, that's probably, um, that's probably the practice that, and, and one practice that I, I, um, I developed because of that, that, that love of all of those things um, was I have a day where I have no agenda mm. and it has been a wonderful thing. It took me about two years to work towards it. So I started with just yearning towards that and then it became a thing. Um, and now I protect it and it doesn't always happen. There's sometimes, you know, life, right. But, but for the most part, I have a day where when I say no agenda, I mean, I'm creating some space where I could sit underneath my willow tree for hours on end, which sometimes I do. And, or I can go for a walk and just keep walking, you know, or we could go to the beach as a family and just be at the beach without having any expectations or so it's, it's creating that space for that play and that rest to unfold in a really natural way. And those are the, those are some really memorable times is Mm -hmm. when I haven't actually had an, an agenda of what it should be. Yeah. Speaking of life. Yeah. That yeah. is a beautiful picture. By the way, I live out of town as well. I, I value very similar things that you do. And being outside in the pandemic over the last number of, you know, when we were having lockdown, it has been a huge benefit. Yeah. Yeah. So um, as a fun way to wrap up our interview, I'd love to ask you three questions. First question is, what are you normally doing on a Friday night? Ha. Huh. I'm having avocado mousse and wine with my sister. <laughs> Love it. Chocolate avocado mousse? Chocolate. Well, it's, it's, uh, it's cacao or cocoa, whatever. It's the good stuff. And uh, yeah, it's pretty amazing. It's a bit of a ritual. What would you say your favorite fun self-care strategy is? Favorite fun? Oh, this is going to sound really funny, but it's fun for me and my children kind of get embarrassed, but it's the, the, uh, for those that know Qigong or some kind of practice like that, it's a shaking off. And so when things build up and especially during this time of COVID, there's so much that comes and builds up. And so it's, it's actually kind of like you're a horse in a field and you just start shaking and you sort of shake it all off and you make those noises. So it's fun for me. It's not so fun for everyone else. Um, but I just, I need to move. I, I'd say the other fun one though was we, we'd have spontaneous dance parties um, here when my, my sister was living with, with us. And so we had more people around and, and my nephews and um, my daughters um, and, and we would just put on some music and just dance. And it's the same idea, just kind of getting some of that out um, and, and laughing and, and just having fun, even when everything's serious around you and, and still there. Um, but, but being actually have those moments where we appreciate just the, just being alive and, and yeah and each other so maybe taylor swift taught us that to shake it off (laughs) (laughs) i never thought about that (laughs) i literally just told my daughter to shake it off before she went into this uh dance or not um into the the driving uh test so that is interesting yeah it really worked and i learned that personally not from taylor swift but from my dog (laughs) (laughs) yes same idea Not as as in, you know, I just have to say, it's not as in just get rid of it. It's more like, it's not like off the duck's back kind of thing. It's actually just shaking out the energy that's building up in you so that you can be present in that, in the next moments. It's that getting it all out kind of thing. So what would you be dancing to at your dance party? Blue Rodeo. Hey, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm starting to shake right now. (laughs) It's always been Blue Rodeo. So tell me where we can find you and the Newfelt Institute online. All right. Well, uh, okay. So um, the Newfelt Institute has a has a website, and uh, we have that's newfeldinstitute.org. Um, it also we just opened up this month uh, an idea center for educators that I. Um, 
kind of spearheaded with my colleagues, Eva D'Agosti from Montreal and Deborah McNamara and Hannah Beach, who I wrote um, Reclaiming Our Students with. And it's got some wonderful resources there. And I just started a home education page on it um, to start to gather some resources and with some of these webinar panels and things that we've been doing. Um, so there's some editorials I've written on the subject there as well. Um, and it will be growing. So we're, we're growing that piece. So that uh, is Idea Center for Educators. So whether you're home educators or are in the system, school system, um, there'll be things there that you might find helpful. And then my own personal website, I have tamarastrijack.ca. Um, and that is just kind of more uh, an overview of all the different things that I'm involved in and a few of my writings from random writings from under the willow tree and at the lake, those kinds of things that I uh, reflect when I have those moments of reflecting on life. And, um, and so put some of those there and some of the other, I, I'm um, going to be maybe doing some classes on learning at home where it's just about talking about some of these ideas and fleshing it out. What does that actually look like, you know, from getting from the insights to the ideas of, of how to put it into practice. So that, that would be on my website as well when that happens sometime this fall. And um, yeah. And then the reclaiming our students is also a website that you can go and find that more about that book. And uh and it's, uh, it was a lot of fun to write with my, my colleague, Hannah B. She does some amazing, uh, amazing work with uh, experiential learning. And so if you're interested in experiential learning, that is, um, that is a, a great resource. Talks about the connection, but also the expression of how do we bring some of these pieces out through, um, through the activities that we engage them in. It has been a real pleasure to meet you and to chat with you. And I just want to say thank you and to thank you uh, to all the Newfelt Institute for participating in essentially cheerleading the home educating community, because right now it just got a whole lot bigger in the last few months. People definitely need that kind of cheerleading. So thank you for joining me today. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Teresa. Thank you for joining me today. I'd love to hear more about who you are. So come on over to my Facebook or Instagram page, Homeschool Mama Self-Care. My goal is to equip you with self-care strategies to help you turn your homeschool challenges into your homeschool charms. If you want to learn more about my course, How to Homeschool 101, or my upcoming book, Homeschool Mama Self-Care, Thrive, Not Just Survive, head over to my blog, www.capturingthecharmlife.com. You'll also find the show notes and links to everything you've heard in this episode there. I hope you and your kids have a charmed week. And until next time, I hope you can turn your challenges into your charms.